May I press you to a cucumber sandwich? No? Then may I warn you, this episode of Diabolical contains spoilers for Moonraker. Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect films' most dastardly schemes, then try to improve them. I'm your host, Lord Manly Supreme, and this week's movie is Moonraker. So, join me in raising a suggestive eyebrow in honour of the late Roger Moore, and let's get diabolical. Hello and welcome to the pod. I'm here with the panel of peril. Please introduce yourselves and tell us your favourite Bond theme. Hello, I'm Adam and my favourite Bond theme is You Know My Name by the late and very, very, very great Chris Cornell. That's an excellent choice. Hmm. And that's actually second on my list. Hmm. Craig? I think I should go last. Okay, Gaz? (laughs) I'm Gaz and my favourite Bond theme is actually the film after. It's Jack White and Elise Keys with... um... What's it called? The film's called The Solace. Another Way to Die. Another Way to Die. That's the one. (laughs) Your favourite Bond theme. Favourite Bond theme, and I don't even know what it's called. (laughs) I had it, but I forgot it in the moment when when I was put on the spot. (laughs) Too much pressure. The pressure got to me. (laughs) The pressure of being asked what your favourite Bond theme is. Do you expect me to talk? (laughs) No, I expect you to fuck up the name. And I'm Craig, and I warned everybody that my choice might be mildly irritating. Christ. And my favourite Bond theme is Spectre by Radiohead, which was not used for the film Spectre. They used that shit Sam Smith song instead. Well, I haven't heard that. I'll have to find it. Oh, it's so good. There's videos of it on YouTube where they put it to the credits. Hmm. It's not really Bond All right. canon, though, is it? This is what I thought you would say, and that's why I pre-warned you. So if you've <laughs> got to have a... A second choice. I thought it was going to be a terrible choice. That's all. That's fine. Spectre's absolutely fine. The song that I sing the most is, uh, is it called Nobody Does It Better? And is it Carly Simon? No, it's Spy Who Loved Me, isn't it? it yeah. No, it's called it, Nobody Does It, it Better. Oh, no, she says it's Spy Who Spy Loved Me in the, in the title. Yeah, in the lyrics, yeah. yeah. Nobody yeah, does the it. one that Partridge goes, clang, 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 I also have a, a soft spot for Tomorrow Never Dies by Cheryl Crow. I think that's a good one. Nah, it's not. <laughs> and as usual, Craig cannot pick one thing. He has to pick several. <laughs> I picked one, and you complained about it, so... <laughs> and if anyone cares, my favourite Bond theme is Diamonds Are Forever by Shirley Bassey. Oh, nice. Or sung by Shirley Bassey. Yeah. I sing it in karaoke. It's a beaut. Dear. What did you think of the Moonraker theme also sung by Shirley Bassey? Moonraker. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not quite as good, is it? It's very forgettable, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Very bland. Yeah, it's terrible. I'm singing it as Moonraker because I can't remember how it yeah. goes. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I watched Moonraker twice this week and I cannot remember how the opening no. theme goes. It's boring. Well, actually, Frank Sinatra was considered for the theme tune, really? but it mm. didn't work out. They decided ultimately to hire Johnny Mattis. He heard the song and said, no, thank you, dropped out. They were scrambling to find someone, asked Kate Bush. She said no. 
And then they got Shirley Bassey to do her third Bond theme. She just said, show me the money. (laughs) (laughs) The biggest disappointment for me of themes of recent years is Billie Eilish's for No Time to Die. I was really looking forward to that. Oh, I liked it. Really? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, she's got a great voice, hasn't she? Not even heard it. Not even seen the film. I just don't think it sounds like a Billie Eilish song at all. It's not dark and weird. They write a lot of them in-house, don't they? And they just give them Mm. to people. Whereas, like, the Jack White Alicia Keys one, has Jack White all over it and Alicia Keys. It's got mm. his like bluesy guitar riffs and her jazzy piano keys. Yeah, yeah. Mixing blues and jazz. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> it's hideous. Scandalous. <laughs> Goldeneye was written by the Edge, wasn't it? And someone mm. else from U2. Yeah. But Yeah, 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 yeah. Goldeneye. That's how it goes. He's got an eye and it's made of gold. <laughs> the two hung up on writing them in house for sure. That's the problem. Should have let mm. Billie Eilish and her brother. I think he's the main songwriter, isn't he? I think so, yeah. Is he Phineas or Ferb? I forget which one he is. <laughs> Phineas or Ferb. <laughs> right, later we'll be competing to see who can come up with this week's most diabolical scheme and earn precious peril points for the diabolical leaderboard. But first, let's take a closer look at this week's movie. 1979's Moonraker was Roger Moore's fourth outing as 007 and director Lewis Gilbert's third and final Bond after You Only Live Twice and The Spy Who Loved Me. Steven Spielberg, fresh off helming Close Encounters of the Third Kind, expressed an interest in directing but was turned down. Producer Albert R. Broccoli decided to make Ian Fleming's Moonraker to cash in on the science fiction boom created by Star Wars but only the name of the villain and Bond nearly getting burned to death by the ignition of a rocket were taken from Fleming's original story. Despite being one of the most divisive films in the Bond franchise, Moonraker was a box office hit, netting $210 million worldwide, which is about $744 million in today's money. And that was against a budget of $34 million, making it the highest grossing Roger Moore Bond adventure and the ninth highest grossing film in the Bond franchise. It also gave us the mischievously named Dr. Holly Goodhead, played by Lois Childs. For a bit of saucy fun, we're going to have a quiz, mm. which I'm calling, Is This a Real Bond Girl or Not? <laughs> Very good. I'm going to read out some Bond Girl names. All you have to do is tell me, are they real or not? I'm laughing already. <laughs> if you think the name is real, say, Martini, shaken, not stirred. If you think the name is made up, say, get this chilled sake out of my face. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Is that a real Bond line? Get this chilled sake out of my face. <laughs> no. But <laughs> he does say warm sake. I think we talked about it in Goldfinger, didn't we? Yeah, yeah we yeah. do. Yeah, it's we did, 90, yeah. 90, I think he says 98.4, <laughs> which is like yeah, 36 yeah. degrees. It's body temperature, basically. Yeah. So it's, it's a, bit of a bit of a play on that, Gaz. Okay. If you'd allow me. I'll allow it. Just indulge me. <laughs> Thank you. Right, the first one. Kissy Suzuki. Martini, shaken, not stirred. Martini, shaken, not stirred. Martini, shaken, not stirred. You're correct. Mm-hmm. Any ideas what film it's from? You only live twice. Well done, yes. Oosh. And she's played by Mie Hammer. All right, next one. Dr. Nookie, good times. Get this chilled sake out of my face. Yeah, yeah get, get this, this chilled, chilled sake out, out of my face. face. <laughs> Very good. That was made up by yours truly. <laughs> Next one. Plenty O'Toole. Martini shaking, not stirred. Martini shaking, not stirred. Get this walk sake out of my face. 
I'll tell you what Liney says to her when she tells him her name. Named after your father. <laughs> ah, well, very good. Well, yes, that is a that is a real Bond girl. Hmm. Anyone know what film it's from? It's a Sean Connery one, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of the early ones. Thunderball? Diamonds are forever. Diamonds are forever. Okay, the next one. Dr. Molly Warmflash. <laughs> <laughs> is she yeah. going through the menopause? <laughs> get this warm sake out of my face. Yeah, get this warm sake out of my face. Get this warm sake out of my face. You're all wrong, I'm afraid. Ah, what? Cold sake. Dr. Molly Warmflash is in The World Is Not Enough, played by Serena Scott Thomas. <laughs> Ah. Holy shit. Warm flash. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next one. Peaceful mountain. Oh, sorry. No, that's wrong. <laughs> Peaceful fountains of desire. Um, um, I'm going to say. Martini shaking, not stirred. Martini shaking, not yeah. stirred. Martini shaking, not stirred. She's Native American. She's Filipina, played by Rachel Grant in Dying of the Day. Mm. Correct. Yeah. And the final one Barbara Bush. <laughs> I believe she was... Get this cold sake yeah. out of my get, face. Yeah, get this chilled sake out of my face. Get this warm sake out of my face. Yeah. Chilled sake. She, chilled! She is indeed the, uh, the former, former first, first lady. lady. Yes. But an amusing <laughs> name nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> Sent to investigate the theft of a space shuttle, Bond finds himself locked in a life or death struggle with Hugo Drax a wealthy industrialist and manufacturer of the shuttle. Bond follows the trail from California to Venice, Rio de Janeiro, the Amazon rainforest, and ultimately into space to stop Drax, who aims to wipe out the entire population of Earth using a deadly toxin and restart humanity with a race of perfect specimens. With the help of Dr. Goodhead and a platoon of laser-toting astronauts, Bond foils Drax and puts his space station and toxin delivery system out of commission. Forever. Possibly not one for the purists, it's a film bursting with action and laugh-out-loud moments. So, what did you think of it? Well, I personally thought it was a lot of fun. I think it's the point at which the series is, is so knowing that it intentionally veers into comedy, similar to the Batman movie that we watched. I think it's camp and funny on purpose, and I think it's successful in that. The stunt work is great. Dying of the Day was particularly uh, slated for poor use of CGI. It's always like watching these old Roger Moore ones because there's always such great stunt work in them. The opening sequence, especially, is incredible. Yes, it's like the sort it's of amazing. Things that Tom Cruise would think twice about. <laughs> Yeah, so good. Yeah, that uh, parachute fight is hilarious, isn't it? Because yeah. I just I started yeah. laughing as soon as he he, get, he catches up with that fella. I could just imagine him arguing, going, "Give me a parachute! No, it's mine!" <laughs> I was just pissing myself. <laughs> it was crazy. That took eighty-eight jumps to complete the oh filming my on that. God, I was wondering how many because I thought it must <sighs> be a few. Yeah. And I think it's it's ready for reappraisal now because you know we live in the time of Elon Musk. And it is very much the Elon Musk story, isn't it? He he is Drax. <laughs> what did you think, Turner? It's one of my all-time Bonds, I think. And it's got some of the classic moments in it, you know, like when he's in the um, high-G simulator and mm -hmm. yeah, and the, the space battles. And, and it's such... Some of the stuff is such a departure from yeah. the Bond that preceded that. Is it a turning point or is it sort of... Certainly a, it a, is. a film of note anyway in the franchise anyway. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. yeah. If somebody said to you, pick 
three very different bonds and moonraker would probably surely be one of the the, the first one that leaves your mouth because it's there's no no other bond like it yeah yeah i think it is a turning point but i think they 180 on it with the for your eyes only for british eyes only <laughs> what about you guys uh yeah i really enjoyed it i think I was expecting it to be wackier than it is, to be honest. I don't have the attachment to Bond that you three guys do. I've never really watched the older ones when I was little. I've seen bits of Moonraker before, but certainly never the entire way through. Oh, really? It's a good thing that we didn't end up doing a podcast exclusively about Bond. (laughs) (laughs) I was expecting it to be as wacky, if not more so, than Batman 66. And I, I personally don't think it is. I think it's deceptively wacky because Hugh's toy that he gives him seems quite grounded at first. You know, the wrists. Yeah, the dark gun. I was expecting something crazier from the Q sequence. Mm. And I think it, it lulled me into thinking it was more sensible than it is because then they have that fucking gondola chase <laughs> where yes. Bond, for some yeah. reason, has a, a motorboat. Yeah. That's so on. good. And the, yeah, it's amazing. And the baddies um, are hiding in a coffin. <laughs> great. The way they did the pigeon to do the double take. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's loads of double takes. There's the two on the side. It's the guy who's drinking red wine. He picks up his bottle and goes, huh? Like that. And then the, the fucking yeah. there. I was howling at that going, Jesus. Yeah. No, that, that did make me laugh. I looked at that and I thought, I understand why people didn't like the riverboat sequence in The World Is Not Enough. Because at the time, I thought it was great. But it's not fun enough. And, no. and uh, here's Moonraker showing you how it's done. And the other thing is, when he gets off, he gets his gondolier straw boater hat and tosses it like Sean Connery used to do. Yeah. Just lands yeah. perfectly onto it's the amazing. Oh, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Right. A special uh, a special helping of respect to anyone that can tell me what Roger Moore nicknamed that gondola. Cedric. It's not mentioned in the film, but he he, he nicknamed it something. <laughs> um, Chastity. Oh, uh, old Betsy. Crackers. It's something in with C. He called it the Bondola. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's good. Oh, Roger. Oh. Roger. Oh, give me some more, Roger. Roger deserves more. <laughs> they should have put that in the script. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they have that fucking spy camera that's got 007 written on it. That's <laughs> yeah. so good. They should have gone all in. Put 007 on his gondola as well. It should have like revolved around <laughs> on a little plate or something. <laughs> I thought it looked like, you know, those little label makers you can get yourself where it punches yeah. the letters into the thing. I thought it looked like that, like he's labelling all his own stuff like a little teenager. <laughs> Hands off my yoghurt. <laughs> Yeah. Who's yoghurt's that? It's mine. Padlocking is covered in the uh, the shared house. <laughs> it is wacky and mm. obviously far removed from where we wound up with Daniel Craig's Bond. But I just, I thought it was it was a rollicking good adventure. And yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed Roger Moore's portrayal of the character. It's, it is camp, but also it is quite cool as well, I think. Flares aside. Yeah, I yeah. think he, he is the... <laughs> absolute personification of Bond in this. He feels capable and deadly. You know yeah. in the bit when they go duck shooting and uh, he gets that sniper out of the tree? <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. That might be the, the most Bond moment ever. Mr. Bond, you missed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favourite Bonds, if not my favourite. 
which is why I put it on my list. I would have never have said that before this year. Like I would have always said before, oh, it's it's the silly one. I told you I watched it twice this week because I've been meaning to watch it for a while because it's being reappraised. But like before, I would have always pointed to it as where Bond went too far. You know, it had lasers and and space and Jaws's silly girlfriend and all that. But after the Craig era, I felt it got too wrapped up in trying to compete with the Bourne series of films and too grounded. The first one that turned me around to this way of thinking is I think ITV had Bond rights for a while and they, they broadcast uh, Octopus. Yes. And it's fucking fun. It's yeah. so fun. And they have this um, tuk-tuk chase in it and the stone work yeah. is unbelievable. And I was thinking, this is Bond. The mm-hmm. stuff we're watching now is good. I love the Craig stuff, but I wanted them to inject some more of that into it. So I was really pleased when Skyfall came out and uh, they have that bit where he rips off the back of the train and he lands and does his uh, yeah. thing. Yeah. I thought, okay, we're getting about, back yeah. to Bond yeah. here. Yeah. There's a few little nods, but yeah, I think I think the Bond films now take themselves too seriously and we, yeah. we need a bit more of that cufflink adjustment. Yeah. Maybe they'll bring it back in whoever's going to take over from Craig. Who knows? I appreciated the stunt work in No Time to Die, though, that bike chase at the start. Uh, it was a great yeah, I film. I haven't seen it yet. So. It's too long. Far too long. Skyfall's my favourite of the modern Yeah, ones, oh yeah, Skyfall. Yeah. Oh, I Casino love Royale. Casino Royale, probably yeah, the best. Absolutely. Oh, I prefer Skyfall. Yeah, that was great too. But uh, back to Moonraker, if I wasn't laughing, I was just jaw on the ground, just saying, wow, because the stunts yeah. are so good. Also, never a moment to get bored, right? No. It starts yeah, exactly. as it means to go on. Yep. It's just rollicking. I also think it has some of the best variety of biomes that we've seen in any Bond, obviously not to mention space, but we also get to go to Venice and the Amazon. Yeah, Because the book is based completely in the UK and readers who were fans of Fleming didn't appreciate that side of it. So I think that the film is a deliberate answer to that because we just go everywhere. Yeah. 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 A lot of Bond fans put it near the bottom of their list, right? The, the purest. Yeah, but there are, you know, it's yeah, but it's it's like they want. <laughs> there are souls you're going to say. Yeah, there, there are, are souls. souls yeah. <laughs> we all know what you're going to say. But you know what I mean? It's we got the same problem today with Lord of Rings fans, the purists. Yeah. They want it yeah. a certain yeah. way. They want the law to follow this way. They want him. They want him yeah. womanizing. Smoking, martini drinking, Aston Martin driving, hobbit, uh, misogynist sort of thing. I mean, some of those elements are fair because if it's not that, it's not the character. So if you if you want to do a series where the protagonist isn't those things, then create a new character. Mm. So I can I can I can empathise with that. But we were talking earlier about the audience sense of entitlement, and yeah. I think there's two sides of it. When art is released into the world, it does sort of become owned by the fans and and their subjective take on it, whether they like it or not, is fine and it's up to them. But the reverse side of that is to demand that art in a series that you enjoy is exactly what you want it to be and then to complain about it and say you want it remade is obviously insane. It's batshit. So any sense of entitlement that Bond fans had when Moonraker came out I mean, it's not like it wiped out. The other thing that I always say is like, 
they make something new in a series. They didn't tape over the one that you like. It's not like uh, <laughs> tape over it. <laughs> not like Thunderball doesn't exist anymore. Not like From Russia with Love has been paved over with Moonraker. So if you, if you prefer the grounded stuff, it's like when you get to like thirty-two thousand on the Millionaire. Yeah, that's safe now. You're not gonna go. You're not gonna go below that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sean Connery didn't like Moonraker, did he? He went to the premiere as Roger's guest, and he said, uh, oh, "Did he? Yeah, it's such this a is de- absolute bollocks." He's saying it was such a departure from what he was doing. It's not, and he's saying oh, it relies too heavily on effects. It doesn't rely on the effects no. at all. He always had a problem with those kind of things, though, didn't he? he turned down the Matrix mm. and Lord of the Rings. So that, I think that tells you what you yeah. need to know about that particular opinion. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Him doing a dodgy accent in fucking the Matrix or Lord of the Rings. Frodo Baggins. Did you know that Moonraker is the story they adapted for radio where 007 was played by none other than Bob Blockbuster's host, Bob Holness. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Oh, right, was it? Yeah, I remember he did play yeah. him. I knew that he had done it, but I didn't know which story they did, but it was Moonraker. But the book was also about a missile rather than mm-hmm. shuttles. Yeah, missile. But as yeah. I said in, in the introduction, most of it was scrapped. The only thing they kept, really, was the name of the villain and mm. the ignition, rocket ignition part. Yeah, I'm glad you piped up there, Turner, because I'm, I'm with you there. Missile. Missile. It's missile. 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 You bloody American fool. <laughs> this is a better conversation than the mayor one. We've got rooting to in Texas Cray here. Now, what are we going to call you? <laughs> I'd say missile. I'm, I'm with Ben. I say no, missile. He said he missile. Said missile. We said missile. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Fuck Ben then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck ben. I'm going to call Ben from now on when he says American things. Big hey, Boston Ben. Hey, right. Hey, hey, hey. I, I'm Lord. Hey, I'm Lord. Lord Manly Supreme. Supreme. And I will not hear anything else. Sorry, I'll retake that. Fuck Lord Manly Supreme. <laughs> okay, big Boston Lord Manly Supreme until next season. <laughs> but we, uh, I was going to say before, we didn't just have the gondola chase. We also had another epic boat chase through the Amazon. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The explosions were so good. You don't see it in, in modern films anymore. And I watched that and I was like... This is a boat chase. This is a proper chase, and all the depth, you know, now, the water's this going is off. a boat chase. Yippee! <laughs> Yeehaw! <laughs> I love Jaws's face when he breaks the steering wheel off the boat and realizes he's going over the falls. Yeah. <laughs> How quickly does he get back as well? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unkillable. And that's when Bond's thrown in with the snake. That's an epic battle. Oh, yeah. man. I love the build up to that, though, where, where she's walking, she's like, Come this way. And he's like, do you think I'm going to walk yeah. over that ominous bridge? No chance. And then he goes and stands on the rock. <laughs> the cable car chase as well is another great set piece. Yeah. Richard Keel's great. He was in two films. I think yeah. The Spy Who Loved Me, maybe. I forget which one. But he he was brought back because young fans wrote to the producers and said, we want we want Jaws back. And that's why he was given this kind of arc as well. Mm. Because it turned out he right. was quite he was well loved. Mm. Uh, yeah. so that's why you get this weird kind of story of redemption uh, it's a shame that he wasn't him. allowed to have more dialogue because uh, <laughs> the one line that he has is fucking brilliant is that his real voice or is he dubbed yeah. over no that's his voice yeah. is it okay I've said the opposite my note for that bit when he talks is George talking Jaws talking George. is weird and uncalled for isn't it? <laughs> weird and uncalled for <laughs> you said well it is to us I like it it's mm. Apparently, when they, they were uh, in pre-production, they, they were looking for the person who would play Jaws' love interest. They found the woman that, that played her. 
No, cool but story. They decided <laughs> that she wasn't tall enough. Wasn't tall enough. You did, don't right. tell me they found that woman. <laughs> she wasn't tall enough. Wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> Find out in part two after these adverts. <laughs> when they were looking for someone, they found her. <laughs> How ironic. <laughs> it seems the cat has been caught by the very person who was trying to catch him. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> That's fine. You've just lost my vote. <laughs> and regardless of how good your plan is. Oh, mercy. Oh, Lord. So th- she was the front runner, but then they decided she was too short and it would look weird with her next to Richard Keel. That's perfect. Because she was five foot one and he's seven foot, what, two, three. Mm. Richard Keel goes, no, she's exactly the same height as my wife. <laughs> the, the producer oh. goes, oh, okay. they, they hired her. Do we all remember him in another epic film series? Uh, no. I remember him from Happy Gilmore. Richard Keel was in the Cannonball Run. Oh, oh yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't it his driving partner, like Jackie Chan or someone amazing like that? Jackie Chan yeah. is in it, so yeah. Could yeah. Be. yeah. Oh, that's a combo. <laughs> Keel and Chan. Christ. Roger Moore is also in the Cannonball Run. So. Yes, he is. Yeah. I bet they had some amazing hangouts. Well, probably... Moore and uh, Keel were friends right until Keel's death in 2014. Yeah. So I'm going to put you all on the spot here. I'm going to ask you, what was your favourite action sequence from the film? Gondola sequence. Uh, The other boat chase through the Amazon. The free fall from the plane for me. Yeah, I'm the same as Craig. The gondola, I I loved it. Because I'd totally forgotten about that. Yeah, me too. The free falling I remembered. Yeah. Yeah, it was just a, such a treat. I mean, that's just so great, though. It should be in like the all-time stunts Hall of Fame, that free fall sequence. It's incredible. Yeah. That's amazing. I've got the simulator sequence down as a highlight, the G-Force simulator sequence. Because I'm pretty sure that is one of the small sequences that I had seen and sort of vaguely remembered. And I thought it mm. would be just stupid but i found it actually genuinely quite dramatic when yeah. you've got the shots of roger moore's jowls blowing back <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you're like jesus christ they're really putting through it here. yeah uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really good stuff though. i think they must have done that with jets of air right? i think with fans yeah going yeah well, presumably yeah yeah, yeah. don't yeah. want to liquefy bones fishing wire sellotapes his cheeks yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, the the um the keypad the close encounters keypad yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah I've got him cheerfully gunning down the marksman in the tree that's so funny <laughs> yeah it's brilliant brilliant but it's where he he shoots the guy at the tree makes his quip and then just walks off <laughs> gets in the Rolls Royce and drives off just casual as you like not not a second thought about that poor dead man yeah <laughs> wonder what Drax is doing after that he's just standing there like what what? <laughs> just like stunned. <laughs> what just, did he just kill my <laughs> Shortly after the pilot comes, the female pilot that helps Bond mm. uh, to the safe and he sets the dogs on her. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't know if you noticed, but he clicks his fingers rather loudly while wearing leather gloves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hope someone got fired for that one. Have you field tested that to see if you can do Trade it? Trade secrets, my son. Movie <laughs> magic. The kind of soft leather Drax would be wearing. Bloody hell. 
we'll get a click out of that. Well, your fingers and skin on your fingers are quite soft, so you can still manage to do it with that. He's wearing gloves, though. He's wearing leather gloves. Yeah, but I'm just saying, you might be able to do it with leather. You know? If one of our listeners would like to buy some leather gloves and try that for us, please uh, <laughs> write to the usual address. Gaz has definitely got leather gloves. Yeah. <laughs> Goes with his gimp suit. <laughs> this could be an exciting YouTube short. I'll get me leather gloves and I'll try and do it. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we try and speak to uh, Adam Savage, is his name? The Mythbusters guy? Mm. <laughs> nah, too much work. What else have I got? Bond with his safari suit on, of course. When he gets into the <laughs> that got away from me, because obviously that's quite a famous um, Roger Moore-ism. Yeah. That will probably do me for highlights. Right, Adam, what have you got? You know when they're in, they're just getting the shuttle and they're um, just about to dock and stuff. Holly Goodhead has got a clipboard and she's ticking shit off. What the fuck is she ticking off? The launch sequence, I guess. How does she know there's a clipboard to tick shit off? <laughs> Doesn't she say that she's NASA trained? She just gets this clipboard and starts checking things on. <laughs> Maybe it's a shopping list or something like that. <laughs> Maybe she just wants to look busy. <laughs> yeah. She had worked on the shuttles, hadn't she, when yeah. she was in Drax's compound? Hmm. But yeah, okay. But uh, uh, where where's Drax's partner as well? Yeah, he's not going to share his DNA. He's not going to procreate. No, that's a shame, isn't it? He's not handsome enough. <laughs> he doesn't think himself. Is it so? Is he going to? Um... He's just going to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, that's the way. That's what this is all for. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was wondering about his motivation. I know he wants to start a race of, you know, perfect specimens, but what's his motivation? Yeah. Mm. So maybe that's it. He just wants to watch. I just, I just felt a bit sorry for him because he was standing there making the speech on the space station. I was like, fuck, he, he doesn't have any, unless it's that fella that he sat next to in the space shuttle. Yeah. He's doing. I was just going to say who's he sat with in the mm. shuttle. Mm. That'll be who it is. Quite a tall, yeah. lanky fella there. So I thought that. Yeah. And then my other favorite bit it was where, where the space station's breaking apart. And then they've just got people behind the set just wobbling these boards and stuff like that. And I was just killing myself. Do you know how the space <laughs> station was destroyed? Uh, shotgun blasts. Shotgun blasts. Bloody hell. Yeah. My goodness. The safest way to do it, presumably, at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, when, when the guy goes down the, the dolly from the back of the ambulance and ends up in that billboard. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, that was going to be one of mine. But don't you think Bond beats him up for just like a, a fraction too long? I know. Scene? It starts to get like yeah. a bit dark. Halfway through, I thought that was it. <laughs> He's just out and Bond's just hammering yeah. his face. He's definitely dead in the billboard. <laughs> He's dead. He's definitely dead. <laughs> Craig? Speaking of the, the space station, I think the shot, the reveal of the space station where the sun rises on it is fantastic. As good as anything yeah. I've seen in any sci-fi. You know, that could have been a shot straight out of 2001. And obviously they referenced 2001 with those spacesuits. Yeah. We talked about it earlier, but Bond in the duck hunt taking out the sniper, I just thought it was super cool. I really love that. Yeah. So there's a scene with Bond and the lady helicopter pilot, and that room they're in really reminded me of Temple of Doom when he's with Willie Scott in the Pancock Palace, the mm. room they're in. Looked really <laughs> yeah, similar. Yeah. Where he uses the safe cracker gadget. Oh, uh, yeah, that's cool. And I just love yeah. that gadget. <laughs> and then what grows out of that that I really love Bond going through all of Goodhead's CIA gadgets and, and showing her that he mm. knows how they all work. I thought that was really cool. 
Uh, and then just one other highlight is that very messy Tim America style fight in that glass museum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just fucking break everything. Two bulls in a china shop. <laughs> and it's the, the, the Chekhov's gun setting that up as well. Like. So good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when he first goes into that museum, why does the woman giving the tour stop to look at him? Is she just instantly foaming at the gash because she's seen <laughs> Bond? Everyone is... <laughs> <laughs> Zero resistance. They just fall for his charms immediately. He doesn't even have to speak. He just stops talking. He looks at him like... Yeah, he does oh, it with oh. a, a helicopter pilot. He just sort of necks on with her straight away, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. It's because he's so golden. Yeah. He's literally, Roger Moore is literally the most golden man I've ever seen. Mm. I wasn't sure if she was one of Drax's subordinates and she'd recognised him. Or yeah, yeah. just because he's... Oh, man, look at this. Look at this hot bit of totty. Roger Moore was a... A handsome chap, maybe it was that. That's what she was thinking in his voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little uh, little tidbit about that fight scene you mentioned. At the time, it was the scene with the most candy glass used in a single scene. Oh, wow. <laughs> Amazing. And believable. So just because Turner mentioned like a plot hole before, when you mentioned that Drax sets the dogs on the helicopter pilot, why does she run past the golf cart? Yeah, I've got that written woods? down yeah. right here, yeah. exactly yeah. the same. She arrives on it, and then, yeah. Fuck the golf cart, I'm going into the woods. They look safe. <laughs> I'm getting a golf cart and drive it to Drax and squash him. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Now Chang would have fucking chinged yeah. him. <laughs> he couldn't even bloody hit Bond with a massive six-foot stick, so... He got the film by being someone's bloody Aikido teacher, yeah. well, how, Michael how, Wilson. How, okay. how, to, how to put furniture together. Forget who Michael Wilson is. Michael Wilson's a producer. Yeah. It was his Aikido teacher. He just hired him. Amazing. I didn't realise you can get people to show you how to put uh, Swedish furniture together. (laughs) 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 Does everybody get that? We need to explain it. (laughs) We'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did you notice in the first half of the movie, Roger Moore's hair... It's kind of a bit golden, like golden colour anyway. Mm. You notice he wears all black in the first half of the movie. Mm. It's very uh, very Luke Skywalker. Mm. And when he's fighting Chan, the henchman, in the Venny Glass building, after the, the kind of the main room fight, they go up into a tower and they're fighting in front of a clock. Mm. Yeah. Did anyone notice the similarity between that and Empire, the yeah. end of Empire, yeah. when they're in front of the big glass yeah. window? Yeah. Yeah. Now you mention it. Very, very similar. Almost, almost shot for shot. It was a year before, though, wasn't it? Seventy nine, and Empire was eighty. Yeah. yeah. Very, very similar. Luke doesn't wear black till Jedi. Oh, doesn't he? Uh, okay. But yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. But when I was watching, I was just thinking, it's Star Wars. It looked it looked so similar. That clock fight looked fantastic, by the way, didn't it? With yeah. The light coming yeah. through the stained glass. It was great. And and then the one liner at the end. Play it again, Sam. <laughs> the guy's in the piano dead. I thought you meant the one at the very end, which is Q's, which is surely the best one-liner in all of Bond. We'll come to that. Another thing I, I picked up on was: Do you remember right at the beginning, Bond's on the plane and he's, you know, making it with a, a flight attendant? The pilot who comes out with the with the parachute on. Do you think he was the inspiration for Porco Rosso? He does look a lot like him, doesn't he? With the goggles and the moustache. Look exactly. Who? 
everything he was wearing, the shape, just looked exactly like him. It's a Studio Ghibli movie about a fighter pilot. Who's a pig? It's, uh, Billy Crystal does the voice for him, of course. Yeah, Billy Crystal. <laughs> oh, I've never seen it in English. It's actually Michael Keaton. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you spoiled our running gag oh, by explaining oh, it. <laughs> oh, shame on you. <laughs> and then one more uh, scene that I really enjoyed, which did not need to be in there. Mm-hmm. Was the Russian general on the phone? Yeah, he's he's from another film, yeah. isn't he? He's been in another Bond movie. He's a recurring character. I'm I sure. don't know, but it seems very very weird. And it was almost like the Admiral joke in Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he goes, uh, "Sorry for keeping you up at this time of night." He goes, "Don't worry about it. I was already up." And then he goes yeah. to his bed, and there's a lovely lady just sitting in there. <laughs> I think he's a recurring character, and I think maybe that's a nod to mm. a, another Bond movie, and that's why it's in there. Oh, okay. Uh, oh yeah, I just thought of another plot hole. Right after he billboard kills that guy, he's doing that spaghetti <laughs> western uh, moment. Where the fuck did he get the horse from? He just cuts straight to that, and he's like, "Yeah, that, that is a bit of a horse." But I, I think you see him like he just walks up the hill, so you're supposed to assume that he's yeah. they're out in the sticks now, and he's just found some locals. Yeah, because they, they they use it's the Bonanza music or of or the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, it's the Magnificent Seven music, isn't it? Oh yeah, and. Uh... In a similar vein, at the end of that horse sequence, why has MI6 moved their whole operation to meet him where he is? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You've yeah. got that temporary office in that fucking... In the fucking monastery. Yeah, in the monastery, yeah. It was mental. And they're testing all those things, like the, the bowlers, and then they've got like a missile, uh, like a yeah. machine gun, then all of a sudden they've just got like a white laser gun going, wah, 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 melting a yeah. dummy. That's like, okay. <laughs> the sleeping guy. In the poncho, yeah, that opens yeah, up. Just goes, <laughs> when he goes to that carnival as well, and obviously mm. he, it's Jaws in that big costume. Yeah, I thought they missed a yeah. trick there. They could have brought back another ex henchman to stand on uh, Jaws's shoulders while he was in that. <laughs> could have had knickknack. Oh, just job. dropped off, yeah. chucked the thing off, and then he'd be knickknack throwing little knives at him. <laughs> uh, shame that, that would have been the. Uh, Icing on the cake. That would have been amazing. But that was quite intimidating. I thought that was that was quite scary. Yeah, because you could tell straight away because he, he was looking at him and you thought, that's not just by accident. You could tell that it was leading up to something. He was walking towards him. It was quite menacing, mm-hmm. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well done. Clowns, massive clowns. Very scary. Yeah. All right, favourite lines. Since you went last, Craig, you can go first this time. Try and save some for others. <laughs> I only got uh, two written down oh. and... One of them is not really a favourite line. I just thought it was an interesting bit. So favourite line when they're flying into Drax's compound and the helicopter pilot says to Bond, what he doesn't own, he doesn't want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then the other one I've got written down, we were just talking about the Rio Carnival. Bond, after his uh, current bow has been attacked, he says to her, uh, I told you not to talk to any strange men. And she just does this really tired laugh and I thought, yeah, she's all of us in that moment. This is not the time for your little quips, Bond. <laughs> Go on then, Turner. Uh, well, I'll give you one one innuendo and then one non-innuendo. <laughs> it's right at the start. He, he just says, uh, you know, he's like, where's, where's, where's Bond? He's like, he's on his last leg, sir. And then cue him running his hand up some woman's thigh. <laughs> oh, <Exactly. whoa. laughs> <laughs> and then the non-innuendo one was uh, when they when they fall off the cable car, and uh, yeah, I got this. Doctor Goodhead says, "Oh, 
Have you broken something? Only my tailor's heart. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, that's excellent. That's actually different to what I had in that sequence. In that case. Okay. Oh, all right. There you go. Guys. You can you can uh, round it off with a perfect segue. Yeah. Go on then. Well, it it's not so much the line; it's the delivery when Bond's hanging off the side of the cable car, and she just goes, "Hang on, James." It's like no reflection or emotion in it whatsoever. I was like, what the hell was that? (laughs) Trusting the clown with the fag hanging out of my mouth. (laughs) 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 It's like genuinely like the most bizarre non-acting line delivery I think I've seen in recent years. (laughs) Great, yeah, it's great that, yeah. And I had one more, which again it's Holly Goodhead asks Bond, do you know him? And Bond just goes. Not socially. His name's Jaws. He kills people. <laughs> <laughs> Just sneaking in a bit of exposition there. <laughs> <laughs> Not socially. <laughs> well. But maybe in the future. And from me, when Bond is flying in to meet Drax for the first time with the pilot that we've spoken about already, she says, uh, I'm just a humble pilot in service of the Drax Corp. Like, <laughs> boobs hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> I, this, I thought, was a genuinely good line for Drax. He says, even in death, my munificence is boundless. Yeah. <laughs> I like that line. I think it delivered yeah. that well. Yeah. I'm looking for Dr. Goodhead. You just found her. A woman. <laughs> <laughs> And then, obviously, the most famous line, which is maybe one of the most famous lines of all time in Bond. Mm, yeah. I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very good. That's excellent. I would like to have known if the, the person who created that line got a bonus. Well, here you go. Take the rest of the day off. Got a bonus. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> one thing I noticed in physical acting is that Roger Moore, and I th- I think this is a plus. He kind of kisses like a dead fish. And I think he was just <laughs> so respectful to his women co-stars that he didn't ever go beyond the bounds of like a movie kiss. He does that thing where the lips touch. There's no no tongue or anything. He just moves his face around, like, <laughs> mm. just like Lloyd Christmas in his in his dreams in uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that's why he does that anyway. Just a, a gentleman, an old school gent. I think he genuinely yeah. was Roger Moore, wasn't he? His, yeah. Seems like it, yeah. Mm. His last autobiography, he did a few. Yeah, he's a thoroughly likeable gent throughout the course of that. Yeah. I can imagine him being so, yeah. All right. Talk about the villain's plot. Mm-hmm. So Drax's aim was simple. Destroy humanity and create a new super race of perfect specimens. To get the job done, he builds himself a space station, develops a deadly nerve toxin, and recruits some of the world's best-looking people. All seems to go well until he's forced to hijack one of his own space shuttles from the US government. The theft alerts authorities, and Bond is assigned to the case. Not one to get his hands dirty, Drax enlists the help of henchmen Chang and Jaws to rid himself of the pesky secret agent. What did you think of the villain's plot? Some of it's pretty good and well thought out like the toxin and then other bits of it like well for one thing building a space station as your kind of arc costly and long process and then 
bottling it because one of your shuttles is gone and not just waiting a bit, make another shuttle and steal that one from America. That, that yeah. was the uh, the bit that I wrote down that's just <laughs> the, the lamest part of the plan. <laughs> waiting the entire yeah. film for the explanation as to why he's stolen his own shuttle. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, one of the other ones wasn't working, so I just stole it. So rather than fix it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fix it or build a new one. You've got the money. I think our plans will probably all, all focus on those areas there because you, what, exactly what you said is, is the same as I thought and yeah. I've worked that into my plan as well. But yeah, it's weird because yeah. you don't really get to know who Drax is, apart from he's like this eccentric industrialist who buys whatever he wants and then ships it wherever he wants it to go and does stuff. Yeah. You don't understand his motives for it as well. So I was like, well, no. yeah. if you could understand his motives a little bit more, you might, you know, if he was always like, well, Mr. Bond, I've always dreamed about going to space and... And watching people making love. Yeah, <laughs> in a big glass tube. <laughs> Specifically glass. Glass. Specifically big. Specifically tube, but it but it has to be shaped like a hexagon. You hear me? Or I do not get a boner. <laughs> I think that's one of the more legitimate gripes that the hardcore Bond fans we were talking about earlier had at the time. And I think some of them tried to retcon it a bit and mm. make him more of a Hitler type figure, like when he's playing Chopin on the piano when he first gets introduced to Bond. Yeah. People were saying that it's a player piano and he's not playing it, and he's like. Uh, you know, the Hitler stupid shit where he was an artist and he felt underappreciated. But apparently, piano experts have said there's no way it's a player piano and that's total bullshit. So, ultimately, they're trying to grasp at straws to give Drax a character that he doesn't have on the page or on the screen. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, like, you never really understand yeah. beyond him being a dick yeah. why he wants to, <laughs> yeah. to do it. <laughs> Because you see, Mr. Bond, I'm just a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Why, Mr. Bond? Why do I do what I do? Uh, I just felt like stirring some shit today. <laughs> <laughs> I like shitting over everything. You hear me? <laughs> well, for me, I give it a, I give his plan a solid eight florets of broccoli. It would have scored higher because I think it was very well planned out. But like you say, hijacking his own shuttle from the government. I mean... Shot himself in the foot. Mm. Yeah. And crazy stuff like when he decides to dispose of Bond and Goodhead with the rocket fire, that Mm. makes sense. But why not simply kill them first and then burn their bodies? He has, like, where he's there, he has probably five opportunities where he's standing in front of Bond (laughs) where he could just go fucking bang, shoot him like that, or kill him. Mr. Bond, you've become a recurring irritation. what the fuck are you doing here again? <laughs> Jesus, can you take him somewhere else where I can't see him and kill him? <laughs> it's a little thing called showmanship. Maybe you don't understand the concepts. <laughs> so this is the part of the show where we compete to see who can improve the villain's scheme the best and earn precious peril points for the diabolical leaderboard. All four of us will share an alternative plan and we'll vote for our favourite at the end. Drax wanted to destroy humanity and create a new super race of perfect specimens, but thanks to the irrepressible bond, he was unsuccessful. Adam, what would you have done differently? So Hugo Drax has a fabulous idea to create a master race involving space, spaceships, a space station and wild orchid perfume. (laughs) Sounds like the perfect plan to me. Not really. Dreadfully flamboyant, oddly enough, a man who seems very dull. 
And for him to steal back one of his own spacecraft and point the spotlight firmly on him. Tut, 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 tut. How many billions of pounds slash dollars has Drax wasted on producing his own shuttles and a space station? Five billion? Twenty billion? The cost and time spent on the R&D of a gravity generator alone must be astronomical. My point is, while he is making vast amounts of money selling a spacecraft to the US government, he could be ploughing the profits back into something more down to Earth. <laughs> oh. I don't get it. <laughs> Drax clearly has the money, muscle and influence to make secret underground shuttle pads, including next to Machu Picchu or ancient Incan ruins. He also has a powerful ally, a key contributor to the American space program. He is integral to their continuation as a top superpower. During the 1970s, the US government's interventions in South America countries is well documented. Guatemala, Argentina, Panama all felt the wrath of successive US regimes, and perhaps most notably when General Augusto Pinochet was installed as Chilean president following a US-backed coup in 1973. Knowing that the US government will have his back, should he encounter any resistance from a democratically elected government, fills Drax with confidence. So keeping South America firmly in his plans, he also knows that the continent has something else that appeals to Drax. Lots of old Nazis hiding out to avoid prosecution. <laughs> After the destruction of the Third Reich, most were left twiddling their thumbs, but Drax finds a use for them. With his vast sums of money, a superpower in his corner, and a collection of mass murderers adept at administration, science, and huge construction projects, with a deluded fixation on supreme beings, Drax et al. begin work on a huge underground complex and laboratory. Disguised as a deep mining operation, extracting a particular ore that is essential in manufacture of Moonraker shuttles. Drax also creates numerous communication satellites that will piggyback on the Moonraker craft launched by the Americans that will help develop a range of eventual spy satellites using a new type of large spherical glass eye. I wonder what they could be. <laughs> At least that's what he tells NASA. For hidden in these satellites is the neurotoxin and the means to dispatch across the globe by ejecting the glass eye out into orbit. As the Drax scientists perfect the orchid nerve agent, they also create an air filtration system that will pump clean, detoxified air into the underground complex for the chosen gaggle to breathe while everyone else on Earth chokes to death on their own vomit. With the Nazi and racial supremacists working at a feverish rate, the way only ideological-driven arseholes can, the underground complex is ready for human habitation and Drax's plan finally reaches fruition. This time, with his secret lair hidden on Earth, no pesky investigation by any secret service agents, no disloyal henchmen for hire, the savings of money for soft furnishing and bribes, Drax and his new race of ideal human beings patiently waits until the Earth has been cleared of the remaining Untermenschen. What's the timescale for making the Earth inhabitable again? Did I miss that? It's, well, it... It doesn't say it. I don't think it says in the film, does it? He says your grandchildren. Mm. He says your grandchildren will will go back and reclaim the earth. So he's he's expected to be there for a couple of generations. Mm. Mm. 
What's the ore that's necessary for the Moonraker? Take your pick. Whatever. Oh, I see. <laughs> Just a bit of flavour. Just a flavour flavour, yeah. Ore flavour. I'm going to say iron. So, I guess my biggest question is, in the movie, he does a lot of that, and he does it alone. Why does he need the South American relocated Nazis to help him? Just as... Uh, because he's working... Basically, he's like dream of super beans and things like that isn't shared by everyone and partially it's is the reason why his plan fails it gets all the way up to space and despite bond getting in the way every point he's got that point there where jaws goes now nah, fuck this and mm. and it all goes tits up doesn't it <laughs> yeah not so many words yeah without the need for <laughs> henchmen like you know the gigantic disformed jaws, then uh, it won't have a chance. And then obviously with with having the Nazis there, they're already bought into this idea of supreme beings and Aryan race and all that kind of piss. Mm. So he knows they'll work for it and keep going and do everything they possibly need to. And he doesn't have to, he only needs to make sure they're safe and not not found by uh, the Mossad and stuff like that. So, All right. Thank you, Adam. Craig. Okay, well, Adam did say that our plans were probably going to be based around the same thing. So uh, he wasn't wrong. <laughs> you going underground as well? Going underground. <laughs> In the late 1700s, excise officials on the trail of French brandy smugglers came across a group of country bumpkins dragging a rake across a pond. When questioned, the rural rubes said they were attempting to fish a wheel of cheese from the water and pointed to the full moon's reflection on the calm surface. What a bunch of fucking divs, thought the excise men, <laughs> laughing heartily as they left the straw-chomping, probably inbred yokels, to scrape up algae and frog spawn and probably do butt stuff together once they got bored. <laughs> but they were all of them deceived, for the seemingly simple folk were, in fact, the very same brandy smugglers they sought, and after retrieving the casks from the inky black depths of the shallow pond, they presumably celebrated their successful ruse with a French brandy fueled night of butt stuff. <laughs> and thus, the legend of the Moonrakers was born. And here are the lessons. Oh, God. No, no, I haven't made that up. That is really where the term Moonraker oh, comes from. No way. Holy cow. And here are the lessons Hugo Drax should have taken from this. Firstly, play to the hubris of the excise men. Act the fool and allow their own egos to do all the work of making them so confident of their superiority that it never even occurs to them that you could be smart enough to carry out your plans right under their noses. Let them see the folly of your apparent goal and make it so bold that they don't look beneath the surface. Show them the moon while you aim for the world. Space exploration is a costly endeavour. It's estimated that the mission which put the Skylab space station into orbit in the 70s set NASA back a cool $2.2 billion. Combined with all the inherent dangers, the cost implication of building a city in the thermosphere should be an immediate red flag. So, while MI6 is busy looking into my aerospace programme, they'll be looking to the heavens while I'm busy toiling below having constructed a hermetically sealed city underground below my complex, pumping clean air in and out and keeping the residents safe from the deadly spores I'll release with simple missiles fired into the atmosphere from subterranean silos. Finally, 
Recognising Bond as a sly and resourceful adversary, with the lithe physique and abundant chest hair of a 70s playgirl stud, with a taste for whale eggs and human lady eggs, I'll keep the rapscallion busy with wave after wave of disposable pleasures and enough Bollinger to keep a shark docile, harvesting his superior DNA to enrich the genetic diversity of my project, before disposing of him in an easily escapable and elaborate trap from which he fails to escape due to having already been fatally shot beforehand. As for Jaws, I'll simply make him sterile. <laughs> As the rockets launch and my master plan unfurls, I'll telephone the President of the United States and Her Majesty the Queen of England to remark glibly, Well, this is Orchid. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, Tudor's not happy. I was just, I didn't like that last line, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is Orchid. I would love to know how you're going to sterilise Jaws, if you'd be so bold. I could chemically castrate him. Go on. You know, he's not sharp as knife in the drawer. I could simply put sterilising agents into his food and drink. Or I, I've got lasers and stuff. I could microwave his balls from the other side of the room. There are, there are numerous ways to do it. You haven't picked which one you'll do just What's yet. What's Jaws's favourite meal? Keep your options open. What's Jaws's favourite meal? Mm. Uh, like a cable car cable? Yeah, it, <laughs> what, in a hot dog bun, yeah? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's won it. That's won it for me. <laughs> I reckon if you eat enough cable car cables, you're going to get sterile anyway. So, I think Jaws's you know. favourite drink, I know what Jaws's favourite drink is. I'm pretty sure it's 7-Up. Because that shit was fucking everywhere in yes. this film. Oh, yes. yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Imagine trying to pass fucking cable cars. I was cars thinking, just thinking cable. that now. <laughs> when you're weaning it. Laying cable. Laying cable. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah, that Moonraker thing is, is real. That's where the term comes from. Cool, wow, that's that awesome. Yeah. Huh. Well, it's a legend. What about the butt stuff? Did you add that for flavour? Or... Yeah, that's not part of the legend yet. <laughs> butt stuff for flavour. That's an interesting way flavor of phrasing flavor. it. <laughs> I just thought that might be the, the conception of what um, inbred country yokels get up to, thanks to things like deliverance. Yeah, some, some folk will never read a skunk some, some folk. folk. <laughs> All right, then. Any further questions for Craig? I'll, I'll accept questions about butt stuff. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite stuff to eat to butts? Give it the choice. How many fingers do you like up there? <laughs> <laughs> what, what? In the butt. All right then. Garenio. Let me uh, get to the right place. Uh, you just had five minutes to prepare. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, some quite simple plans from, from Craig and Adam there. <laughs> But mine's even simpler. Now, I'm no Brian Cox, the space professor, not the actor. But I don't think that the dispersal area of three pods of nerve gas from orbit will be sufficient to cover their 196.9 million square miles of planet Earth. He's living in a dream world, having a giraffe, a bubble. He's a pickled egg and what have you. <laughs> Let's pare things down to their simplest form. 
I don't know about you three guys and the Peril Pals listening out there in podcast land, but I'm very easily distracted. And so the first simple stage of my simple plan is to install special Drax monitors in every home, <laughs> in every shop window, on every bus, in every leisure centre, in every restaurant, in every school, in every office, in every place of worship, in every vehicle, in every country field. In every building from the German Brutalist School of Architecture, in every dog, in every <laughs> scarf, in every sock, in every child's bib, so that when Drax has something to say or do, he can. As I said, simple. Now, when Drax has something to say or do, he simply aims to distract <laughs> the pause whilst he enacts his plan. What could be the best way to distract? Call me crazy. But I think Drax should time his transmission with one of his faithful dog's bowel movements. Clad in a brilliant <laughs> white suit. <laughs> I'm making notes, but they're making less sense as I go along. I just, I'm lost. <laughs> I can boil it down at the end. We'll we'll just do the big palaver and okay, then I'll boil okay. it down. <laughs> <laughs> Clad in a brilliant white suit and shoes, he would stare into the camera, deadpan, as the dog begins to lay cable. <laughs> he would then place one foot next to said dog's butthole and let the stool plop out onto his shoe. <laughs> 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 Next, he would kick the poop up onto his head <laughs> in the manner of a football player would with a football. You know those old-timey musicals where people would roll, <laughs> roll the hat down the hole? That's what Drax would do with his doggo's turd, singing calmly to himself as he did so. Rolling down the arm. Back up the other one. Coating his beautiful white suit in shite in the process. <laughs> the Globe's populace would be too distracted to notice what happens next. As I said, simple. <laughs> Drax would use his fleet of Moonraker shuttles to remove every piece of plant life from the planet. Shouldn't take the <laughs> only 320,000 species. He and his selection of genetically superior humans would then live the high life on the space station as in the film, except this time they have all the plants. The denizens of planet Earth would slowly deplete the remaining oxygen supply on Earth and suffocate to death, whereupon Drax and his buddies could return to terra firma to begin the simple task of disposing of 4.357 billion corpses. It doesn't get much simpler than that. <laughs> okay. Bravo. <laughs> Bravo. Well, thanks for making me cry. Yeah. Multiple times. <laughs> yeah, the idea of losing all those people did was uh, a <laughs> So, um, you think that there's not enough toxin to cover the Earth, but mm. with these five or six space shuttles, during the amount of time it takes to cover your suit in shit, <laughs> you can remove every plant from the Earth. <laughs> yes. And then when they come back to yeah. reclaim the earth, they're a bit fucked, aren't they? Nah, I just bring the plants back. They'll start pumping out oxygen straight away. Yeah. Instantly, yeah. What percentage of the world's uh, 
oxygen is generated by plant life in the oceans. Oh, yeah. uh, Quite a lot. I think it's pretty high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Science's opinion now, anyway. So Do you know what? My main note that I've written down here, and I was struggling to make notes, so I was, I was laughing so much that I was shaking, but the one note that I have written down legibly and underlined <laughs> is that where you said that you're not Brian Cox. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the biggest hole in your plot. I've just got one note, and it's it just literally reads WTAF. <laughs> also, my other question is: You said that this shit show, this literal shit show, hmm. was to distract the pores, right? The, the poor people. That's everybody who isn't him and is genetically superior. Okay. Uh, okay. Race. So, you think the Bond and Goodhead would watch this? Uh... <laughs> shit rolling exercise. Would you not watch that if it came on a monitor that was located in every single object in your socks? <laughs> You'd be like, "What? What is going on?" And then, "Where's all the pants gone after it finished?" <laughs> I'm sure I had a succulent on the windowsill, and it's fucking gone now. <laughs> Eight mildly attractive astronauts came in and took it while I was watching this. <laughs> oh, you got a tough act to follow, Lord Manly Supreme. You really have. Yeah, I shall try my best. So. In my opinion, Drax did a lot right. The space station, the shuttles full of beautiful, beautiful people. No need to throw the baby out with the bathwater, because that would be a tragic, tragic mishap. No, what Drax lacked was my vision. My vision for a better world. A more connected world. A world built on love. Literally. (laughs) In the lead-up to our migration to space, I wouldn't waste time perfecting deadly nerve toxins. I'd invest that time and money into communication links and broadcasting capabilities. No longer needing money, I'd set up the Drax Singles for Society Matchmaking Foundation, a sort of UNICEF for the lonely. We'd have billboards showing babes and studs and offices all over the world. Our slogan would be Coupling the world, the DSSMF would also operate free 24-hour global TV and radio channels. With all that in place, we'd head to the space station. No need to hide it, we're not doing anything wrong. In fact, I'm now lauded for my visionary humanitarian efforts. Once in space, the reason for all that preparation would be revealed. Zero gravity pornography. (laughs) Women on men, men on men, women on women, women on women getting interrupted by men pretending to be maintenance (laughs) workers, you name it. It would be constant and we'd broadcast it free 24 hours a day. Even Bond would approve. Everyone on Earth coupled and newly coupled thanks to the DSSMF would be feeling frisky as Debbie en route to a well-known Texan city. The upshot, so to speak, would be a population explosion. Addicted to sweet, sweet lovemaking and spurred on by the irresistible spectacle of zero-gravity pornography. In just a few short generations, society would collapse and many, many people would die. (laughs) A good old-fashioned extinction event, just the way your grandma used to make them. (laughs) And those that are left, if any... 
our grandchildren would finish them off with lasers upon their triumphant return from the heavens. Finish them off in what way? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, come on! (laughs) Why Why do people die because of the population explosion? Oh, not enough resources, mate. Yeah, but surely only enough people would die so that there would be enough resources left for a lot of people. Oh, but then they'd all be fighting for whatever's left. What's the timeline for that? couple of generations yeah so drax ain't gonna be around to see it so maybe his plan might get watered down potentially well he, he's not in the film he says our grandchildren will yeah. go back to earth so he knows he's not going to be around to see it yeah. plus he only likes to watch remember that's his motivation the thing is with his plan in the film is it's like it's definite isn't it because once he fucks earth over they're all stuck on that space station there's no way they can get cold feet and say oh we're gonna change our mind and we're gonna actually be sensible and not kill everybody Whereas if he's still base it on Earth and waiting for people to see some sort of appeal of zero-G porn, which I'm still don't understand entirely what the, the appeal of zero-G porn would be being transmitted 24-7. They can go in any direction they want. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever watched porn? It's, that's already capable. They'd have to dock. You see, when you see a sea snake in the ocean, it, it can slither any way it wants. For NASA, when they dock, they have a team on the ground helping them calculate it. And not if you get the dock wrong, yeah, too many uh, dislocated penises for my liking. Plus, you'd get jizz in the equipment, you'd just be flying around, yeah. <laughs> like the ants. Well, yeah, the look out, they're ruffled. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder whether there might be some people who are more fond of heavy gravity porn, though. Might be ostracizing them. Wow, People are yeah. just like pinned to the floor and barely able to move. <laughs> okay. Some absolutely diabolical schemes there, but there can be only one winner. It's time to vote. Remember, we can't vote for our own plan. And if either of you three wins, you will receive two peril points for the diabolical leaderboard. As host, if I win, I will only get one peril point as I pick this movie so we had Adam's plan which was to go underground and release the nerve toxin via satellites to wipe out the population and hire Nazis instead of uh, unreliable henchmen like Jaws yeah don't forget Nazis gotta differentiate this from my plan yeah (laughs) (laughs) Craig's very different plan was to build an underground layer and release nerve toxin into the atmosphere through spores, did you missiles. say? Missiles. It's already the spores. Missile, yeah. missile, the missiles. The delivery system. But also right. to use James Bond's DNA to help to populate this new world of supermen. Indeed. That was the main point. Yep, and Gaz's plan was to distract everyone with a literal shit show <laughs> whilst <laughs> they stole all the plants from Earth and nicked off to the space station. It's time to vote. You're not going to remind people of your uh, scheme. Oh, sorry. And my plan. What was my plan? <laughs> my plan was to broadcast zero gravity pornography throughout the world and get the world to end itself through a population explosion. It's time to vote. I'm voting for Adam's plan. I'm voting for Adam. And I'm voting for Gaz. I'm voting for Gaz. Well, peril pals, that means Adam and Gaz. Each get one point. Congratulations, Bizarre. gentlemen. Well, just gracias. 
Well done to Gareth. Let's see what that's done to the diabolical leaderboard. Well, Lord Manly Supreme, current standings are in the lead with two points is Craig. Joint second place with a point apiece are myself, Gaz and Adam. And languishing with zero points is Lord Manly Supreme. There's been a backlash, hasn't there, after my win well, in the first season. There's been a backlash to my win last week, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Both voting for this crazy steal the plant plan that barely workable. <laughs> I didn't think it was the best plan in that respect, but it made me laugh so yes, hard I thought it deserved something. precisely why I voted for it, yeah. Oh, right. Well, I just love the idea of somebody getting covered in dog shit to distract the entire world from <laughs> what they're doing. I just think that's brilliant. I mean, if that's how we're rolling from now on. <laughs> dog shit. At least that would have given the guy a bit of character because he was so bland <laughs> <Yeah>. otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Is that the multi, multi-billionaire Drax? Why is he rolling dog shit all over himself? <laughs> <laughs> Why is he really good at football? <laughs> <laughs> you just can't explain these things. It's like going back and explaining what the Clone Wars are. Yeah. Best luck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll be a prequel. How Drax got good at flipping dog shit in his head. Oh, God. All right, Craig, you'll Ooh. be hosting next week as it's your turn. Hmm. Can you tell us what film have you picked for us? I can. So I've obviously already picked my five movies for this season and I reordered them because I didn't want it to be too similar when we did the Goonies. But your pick of Moonraker this week has actually reframed the way I feel about that. And now I feel like it's more of a completely natural evolution. And the film that we'll be watching and trying to improve next week is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yes! Oh, yes. Awesome. Very good. That's my favourite indie film. Oh, is it? Oh. Me too. It's been a while. So that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. But most importantly, tell a friend about us. Research proves that 96% of podcasts don't make it past their first year because listeners are too lazy or selfish to simply give the people they supposedly care about the gift of a recommendation. Don't let that be you. You're better than that. Head over to Twitter and Instagram at DiabolicalPod throughout the week for morsels of mildly interesting content. And join us next time when we'll be blabbering on about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And remember, if you can't be good, be careful. Let's see what that's done to the uh, to the diabolical leaderboard. Okay, Lord. I'll say that again. <laughs> let's see what that's done to the diabolical leaderboard. No, you should say it with like, let's see what that's done to the diabolical leaderboard. All right. So, Gaz, let's see what that's done to the diabolical leaderboard. <laughs> <laughs> what about this? Let's see what that's done to the... Diabolical leaderboard. Right, let me try again. So let's see what that's done. No. To the diabolical leaderboard. No, it was, the emphasis was on that. Let's see what that's done. Uh, okay. Let's see what that's done to the diabolical leaderboard. I like the way you said leaderboard earlier, though. Diabolical leaderboard. Uh, 
that this is going to be this this bit is going to be the blooper. <laughs> They've got to be the blooper reel. <laughs> They've got to be. <laughs> Gareth, could you tell us what that's done to the diabolical leaderboard, please? <laughs> That was the Oliver Twist take. (laughs) Wait, I'm going one more. I've got it in me. So, Gaz, tell us, what has that done to the diabolical leaderboard? Well. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. (laughs) That you can't help but go. Like, it's a... It's definitely like a... I don't know. 